Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, I tell you all the time, if you find good stuff out there, whether it's an article or a YouTube video or a book or really anything, just shoot me a message. Let me know about it. So whether you're following us on Instagram, just at Undaunted Life, or you send me an email, info at undaunted.life. I just love getting stuff from you guys because I'm constantly putting myself in the posture of trying to figure out what it is exactly that you guys like. What is it that you want to hear? What are the things that you want to have some opinions on that are perhaps different than yours or more informed than the opinion? that you have right now. And so I'm constantly thinking through that and you guys can just help me get there even faster if you just shoot me stuff. So that's exactly what a guy on Instagram uh, named Blackhawk, it looks like two underscores 91. So Blackhawk underscore underscore 91. He sent me a message a few weeks ago with this article. And this was an article that I hadn't seen and there probably wasn't going to be another context where I was going to run across this. So shout out to him. I really do appreciate that him sharing this with me. And it's an article from Men's Health Magazine or menshealth.com. And it's called The Man Economy is Cynical and Exploitative and It's Going to Save Us All. Yes, let me repeat that. The man economy, new word, is cynical and exploitative, and it's going to save us all. So this was an article from September 3rd of this year, so it's really only, what, a few weeks before you guys are hearing this episode or something like that. And it's a really long article. It's a very in-depth article. And so there was enough here that I thought would be interesting to bring it to you guys, right? So I thought that there would be enough here to discuss enough different ways that we could look at the different content. And so what I want to go ahead and do is I'm going to go ahead and just read it to you right now. Again, this is a September 3rd article saying, or called The Man Economy is Cynical and Exploitative and It's Going to Save Us All. And kind of the, the subhead is, can a new cottage industry that preys upon our deepest insecurities actually be a force for good? So this is what I'm going to do, just kind of give you the setup. I'm going to go ahead and read through the entire article. And I'm not going to give you any commentary, okay? I have uh, several quotes in several different sections of the article that I will pull out that will give us a little bit of a better idea of what we should maybe be thinking in a certain, uh, certain kinds of areas. But I just want to go ahead and read it all the way through right now so you have it. So here we go. There are a lot of commercials and celebrities and quote-unquote celebrities and bookings and hashtags and approximately 73 podcasts and at least one Bagel Bites campaign telling us to be better fathers, husbands, friends, and colleagues. Their business is self-improvement, the individual and collective betterment of the male species, and they're selling wokeness and intentionality, self-awareness, and feminism. And we seem to be buying it. We must be. An entire economy has sprung up to serve and exploit the desire of men to be better people, better dads and brothers and spouses and co-workers. This is, on some basic level, a welcome thing. This magazine has been in the business of betterment for years, but now we have a lot of company. 
The scope of this manconomy, it's so important we had to capitalize it, is staggering. And it's easy to be cynical about the whole thing when you see it, when you see, say, Russell Wilson launching a clothing brand that's available on Amazon Fashion called Good Man and filming a commercial where he sits around with a bunch of dudes talking about being good men. But can an enterprise that preys upon men's deepest insecurities actually help move the needle towards a more equitable society? Can men simply consume their way to becoming better people? Can the man economy actually be a force of good? For a few months this summer, I explored the brighter lights and darker shadows of the man economy. And it turns out these commercials and celebrities, and quote-unquote celebrities at all, aren't just helping steer us towards a better version of ourselves in the cash grab. They're asking the right questions, sparking the right conversations, and starting the right fights, and they just might save us all from ourselves. And, and real quick, that was the intro. I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, author's name so I can give him credit. It is Spencer uh, Dukoff. So that's D-U-K-O-F-F. So I think that's Dukoff. So, all right, let's get back into it here. It used to be so simple to be a man. Thousands of years of tradition and legacy and entrenched patriarchy had clearly outlined the expected roles and characteristics of true men. Rugged, heterosexual, self-reliant providers who put food on the table and never asked for help. Vulnerability was weak and feminine. Men were dominant and women were submissive. Heroes were military generals, cowboys, and secret agents. John Wayne and James Bond made it all look so easy. Manhood today, both as perception and practice, is decidedly more complex. With the hashtag MeToo movement, women seized upon an unprecedented opportunity to hold male abusers and harassers accountable, which in turn helped to further normalize conversations about consent and assault, aggression, and power. At the same time, the blurring of the traditional gender norms in concert with hard-won progress for the LGBTQ plus community have radically transformed sexual politics. All these changes have prompted confusion for many men about their roles at work, at home, and in society at large. The upside of social progress is freedom from the previous constraints of what we thought a man had to be. But with that freedom comes uncertainty. We don't know what to do now. We don't know who to be. Which is where the man economy comes in, with podcasts fast becoming the go-to destination for big ideas and seriously long discussions about what it means to be a man. There's Dak Shepard's and David Harbour's going deep on their respective battles with alcoholism in an episode of Armchair Expert. Mark Pagan bringing his wit on the topic of male financial insecurities on Other Men Need Help. Ayman Ishmael revealing the struggles Asian guys face on Tinder on Man Up. And Bill DeValue, or... Delval, Delval, there you go, Bill Delval, pontificating on how to develop a, quote, new masculine identity in Christ, unquote, for heroic conversations on surprising manhood. Collectively, these podcasts have racked up millions of streams. All of this talk, of course, happens between advertisements for mattresses and web domains and meal plans. Towering amid all the woke bro podcasts is Joe Rogan. There have been more than 1,300 episodes of the Joe Rogan experience since 2009, and in both 2017 and 2018, it was Apple Podcast's second most downloaded show, all while racking up more than 6 million subscribers on its YouTube channel. The show's success with its mostly male audience is predicated on Rogan's willingness to engage with mostly male guests who span the ideological spectrum from controversy courting right-wingers like Ben Shapiro, Andy No, and Alex Jones, to more progressive types like Charlemagne the God, Judd Apatow, and Bernie Sanders plumbing their perspectives for some kind of hodgepodge roadmap navigating masculinity. Rogan and his podcasting cohort and our are our, our most immediate contact with the man economy. Beyond the reach of our iPhones, though, there are real-life experts and quote-unquote experts on masculinity and gender who start off by writing some blog posts before filming a TED Talk, landing a book deal, and then charging companies and colleges to hear their spiel. 
No matter your budget, you can find a man who will deliver a keynote or facilitate breakout sessions or join a panel or read from his book, provided you've also got the scratch to cover meals and lodging. Some of these speakers, like Tim Masso and Jeff Pereira, charge only a few thousand dollars for their services. But bigger names, like Jordan Peterson, have booking agents who reportedly won't consider an offer that's under $100,000. What are some of these events like? They're probably a lot like Lecture Hall L63 at John Jay College in New York, where I sat in the back right corner this summer and was beckoned to stand up by a goateed man at the front of the room. Quote, repeat after me, we promote healthy manhood, unquote, the man bellowed, a huge grin stretching across his face. I was at the Multicultural Masculinities a free workshop co-hosted by A Call to Men, an organization whose mission is to help improve the next generation of manhood. Like the Mankind Project and Every Man and Meetup Groups, A Call to to Men is just one of the many events, men's groups, and wellness retreats with a similar mission to help us reckon with our masculinity, often for a registration fee. The crowd of 200 around me was a mix of older academic types, young professionals, and college students who had all signed up to sit in seminars with names like Redefining Masculinity, a new lexicon. A majority of the attendees were people of color, and although the audience was mostly men, there were plenty of women in the lecture hall. Most of these women was... One of these women was Katie, who works for the Domestic Violence Shelter on Long Island. When I asked Katie what brought her out to this event, she told me, it's about finding the right language, because masculinity is such a sensitive subject for so many people. We rose out of our seats while a different man got his iPhone ready to capture our collective catchphrase for social media, quote, we promote healthy manhood, unquote. The day's agenda was focused on mitigating the negative consequences that unhealthy practices and perceptions of manhood have wrought upon society. The big topics? Sexual violence, homophobia, misogyny. And the people who had signed up for the seminar seemed genuinely eager to have these difficult conversations. It was greatly encouraging to see so many people willing to address toxic masculinity as a public health crisis, ready to cut through the BS to get to the very heart of the matter. As Joseph Maldonado, a CUNY professor, told the crowd, quote, We don't call men out. We call men in. Unquote. I met the goateed man who had asked all of us out of our seats in the hallway after he wrapped up his keynote. His name is Ted Bunch, a call to men's chief development officer and the most public-facing member of the organization aside from the CEO, Tony Porter, whose TED Talk outlines more progressive masculinity and has been viewed more than 2.9 million times since it was posted in 2010. Dressed in a tailored blue suit, crisp white button-down, and old-school blue vans, Bunch gave me a firm handshake and welcomed me to an event as he walked to a smaller classroom down the hall. In the classroom, he queued up a PowerPoint presentation as I took my seat amid 25 other men and women. Rather than lecturing the room on the failures of masculinity, Bunch kicked the session off with a casual Q&A, letting the attendees give their unfiltered impressions about manhood. The dialogue is an entryway to the, quote, man box, a call to men's most popular teaching tool, which break down what Bunch refers to as the collective socialization of men. Men are taught, often by other men but also by women, to embrace certain behaviors and characteristics, like physical toughness and stoicism, and avoid others like vulnerability. In the man box, women are objects and less valuable than men, and that power dynamic helps to explain why violence against women is so commonplace. Much of the work of A Call to Men is prevention-oriented, but Bunch wants men to feel more responsible for not just checking their own masculinity, but for the other men they encounter in their everyday life. It can't solely be the work of feminists to reform men, according to Bunch. Quote, the bridge of prevention to intervention is men, unquote, Bunch said. The witness 
I witnessed what seemed like real breakthroughs during our session. One woman tearfully shared how her late father had trouble, had trouble expressing his emotions out of a need to maintain a strong exterior as a man. A younger man talked about how the worst insult a bully can hurl at you in Brooklyn, in the Brooklyn neighborhood, was to say that you were gay. When we, as a society, talk about toxic masculinity, we tend to talk about men in static, broad terms, laying out stakes and consequences better suited for cancel culture than genuine growth. What Bunch puts forward is a more hopeful vision. We can begin to dismantle these toxic attitudes, not by marching or tweeting or buying products that signal virtue, but by opening up and having a conversation with one another. A call to men aims to teach us that men aren't born imbued with morality or a personality or a destiny. We are blank canvases engaged in some metaphysical lottery, and the people we become, who we choose to become, are shaped by many more forces than we often imagine. Who your parents are, how much money you have, the country you live in, the neighborhood where you reside, the language that you speak, the color of your skin, the genitalia between your legs. All of these influence who you will one day grow up to be. And from the time you leave the emotional regulation stage of infancy behind and start to develop motor skills and a conscience, there will be competing, they will be competing for your attention, presenting you with examples to help mold you into a person and thoughts and feelings and convictions and identity. What makes you, you. The advertising industry wants to be a part of that conversation too. In the pilot episode of Mad Men, the show's cocksure ad executive Don Draper explains to a female acquaintance his views about romance. Quote, what you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons, unquote. Masculinity may not be selling nylons yet, but it's certainly selling a lot of books and deodorant and chunky soups. Earlier this year, Gillette produced a two-minute Super Bowl ad that had almost nothing to do with shaving. Instead, the commercial tackled toxic masculinity writ large, bullying, sexual harassment, and the tired notion that boys will be boys. The commercial was an instant viral phenomenon, receiving praise from celebrities on the left like Chrissy Teigen and Ava DuVernay, and being mocked by right-leaning pundits like Pierce Morgan, who wrote that the ad pushed men to be a, quote, tarred with the same monstrous brush, unquote. Boycott Gillette quickly became a trending topic on Twitter, which almost seems like it was part of Gillette's plan. 2019 is the 30th year of the iconic line, the best a man can get. We debuted it at the Super Bowl in 1989, Panjuk Balal, the director of Gillette and Venus, North America, says. As we looked at the line, we wanted to think of the right way to bring it to life. We were already starting to show men in more modern, contemporary light. We wanted to redefine what the best a man can get meant, not just the best razor. We wanted to focus on what kind of man does Gillette intend to emulate and follow. That translated to the best a man can be, not just the best a man can get. What Bilal is articulating is in an inversion of the old nylons model laid out by Draper. Companies used to sell products to indirectly reinforce values. Now they're directly emulating those values in order to sell products. Axe is another company that changed how it depicts masculinity in advertisements. In the mid-2000s, Axe was known for campaigns like the Axe Effect, which showed swarms of women charging toward and surrounding men who had just used body spray. According to Mark Lodwick, Axe's brand director, starting in 2016, the company's marketing began to dramatically pivot away from the well-worn trope of the guys get the girl. As new teen guys come in, you have the opportunity to reestablish yourself as a brand with them. So 12-year-old guys today, they don't know these previous ads, Lodwick says. We used, we used who we are, attraction and confidence, but the expression of that, what it means to be a man, changes with the times. In other words, changing definitions of masculinity extend to young men's personal preferences for how socially conscious their spray deodorant brand should aspire to be. 
What advertising agencies realize is that younger consumers don't see a reason why they should support a brand if it doesn't speak to their values, said Mark Tungate, author of A Branded Male, Marketing to Men. As these younger generations, who are more socially and politically active since the election of Donald Trump, begin to wield greater purchasing power, it makes sense that more companies will incorporate explicit social messaging into their brands. However noble the intentions of companies and man-economy entrepreneurs who hitch their marketing strategies to social justice issues may be, it's impossible to separate the supposed altruism from the capitalism. Gillette dove into the toxic masculinity debate to sell razors. Pampers enlisted John Legend to talk about the need for more changing tables in men's public bathrooms so it could sell diapers. Even the curvy wife guy, Robbie Tripp, acknowledges the body, that body positivity is a lucrative commodity. Within a month of Tripp's posting a photo on Instagram praising his wife's thick thighs, big booty, and cute little side roll, the couple had earned 100000 from brand deals. A cynic might say that the man economy may actually hold men back from seriously addressing the issues it leverages to sell products. After all, it's much easier to buy the woke shaving cream brand and believe you've done your woke man deed of the day than it is to actively advocate for closing the gender pay gap or participate in a boycott. But while man's path to modern enlightenment can't end with a shaving cream advertisement or a particularly engaging podcast, perhaps it can begin with one. Rather than selling the illusion of progress, the man economy has the opportunity to offer men a fresh start. Boy, do we need one. Okay, so I know for some of you that was a little bit painful. Uh, one, because every now and then I do mess up whenever I read out loud, but Hey, you know, it is what it is. But the other side of things is yuck. There was a lot not, not to like there with that particular, uh, blog. I was expecting a whole lot more, but now I want to kind of pull out some different pieces of that and I'll kind of read the quotes and kind of go into there. Um, but I just wanted you to kind of get a sense of the entire tone because at first I was just going to kind of come in and out and I don't think you would have really got a sense of what the overall themes were from this article, but I want to go ahead and go back to, uh, the last sentence of the introduction. And this was that they're asking the right questions, sparking the right conversations and starting the right fights. And they might just save us all from ourselves. And so when I first read that, I was like, okay, all right. So I didn't really know anything about men's health and kind of their editorial page or kind of where they go. I just realized that, you know, men's health was probably just helping us out with different workouts and supplements that we should do or places we should go on vacation and that kind of thing. So I was hopeful. You know, when I first read that, I was like, okay, you know, I can get behind that. So we'll, we'll just kind of see what it looks like. And then you got into the rest or the rest of this article. And so I'll go ahead and pull out some pieces here. So here's another quote. And by the way, these quotes are in order of the way that they appeared in the article. So if you are following along with the article, uh, just kind of keep skipping down a little bit. So here's another quote. It used to be so simple to be a man. Thousands of years of tradition and legacy and entrenched patriarchy had clearly outlined the expected roles and characteristics of true men. Rugged, heterosexual, self-reliant providers who put food on the table and never ask for help. So this is the first sentence of the body of the article. And what this first sentence really gives up from the very beginning is a very, very obvious liberal bias. Because you could see this obviously throughout, but this could kind of be a signal as to what was going to come. Because anytime you see the word patriarchy used, and it's not in a snarky, sarcastic manner you can pretty much know that this is going to be more of a left-leaning type of thing. Because again, it's thousands of years of tradition and legacy and entrenched patriarchy. Like, oh my gosh, it's, it's this magical patriarchy again. It's this unspoken, faceless force in the universe called the patriarchy that is keeping everybody down somehow and underlining the ways that they should be. But here's the deal, is the characteristics they put out there are almost like uh, tongue-in-cheek, like the, we know these things are bad. You know, how men are expected to be rugged, heterosexual, self-reliant providers who put food on the table and never ask for help. Well, there, there's actually a lot of good in there. 
right? Right. If you're a rugged guy, we can assume that you're a resilient guy. I mean, we are called to be heterosexuals, right? I mean, that, that kind of goes back to our biblical mandate. I mean, self-reliant providers, you can look all through scripture and find examples of basically it being a good thing that a man were to work. So again, it's not just self-reliance, it's self-reliant providers. These are people that are using the gifts that God gave them, acknowledging the gifts that God gave them in order to provide for their families. Okay. So that first sentence kind of soured me because the last sentence of the intro and the first sentence of the body, I was like, ah, come on. You almost had me, but you know, we'll get back into another one. So, um, as you go a little bit later in the article, and this is on the heels of the comments about hashtag me too, the LGBTQ plus and sexual politics and things like that. We get this quote here, quote, the upside of social progress is freedom from the previous constraints of what we thought a man had to be. But with that freedom comes uncertainty. We don't know what we uh, we don't know what to do now. We don't know who to be. Okay. This is very important. I get the sense that this is a little bit of a throwaway comment by the author, but uh, again, I think the focus was supposed to be on hashtag me too and LGBTQ plus TTYL, LOL, all that kind of stuff and kind of all of that. But the, the line here, it's, it's very important. It's almost really, really sad as well. And it's this one here at the end. It's, but with that freedom comes uncertainty. We don't know what to do now. We don't know who to be. Which again, and I'll talk about this more as I kind of wrap up my thoughts. This is what happens when a secularist who probably thinks that we're, you know, highly evolved monkeys that wear pants, right? That someone like that doesn't really know where to look. There's no paradigm with which they are to live by because we are just the fittest of the apes, right? We survived. The genes of our ancestors have been passed down to us and now we're here. But again, he talks about having freedom having the freedom of doing all these types of things, but it comes with this uncertainty. We don't know what to do now. Well, I wonder why. Whenever society and in, in pockets of politics tear down society from the inside, it's kind of interesting that no one really knows where to stand or what to do. You know, it's like Ron Burgundy, like, I don't know what to do with my hands. That's what so many people are doing. And so when you tear down all the vestiges of masculinity or manhood, and you also get rid of the Judeo-Christian ethic and framework, of course you would be confused. Of course you wouldn't know who to be. It's pretty explanatory, right? like right there. So we'll skip down a little bit further, and it goes into this quote here. Quote, Rogan and his podcasting cohort are our most immediate contact to the man economy, unquote. And so um, I actually don't know a single person that listens to this podcast that doesn't also listen to the Joe Rogan experience, right? Uh, I talk about the Joe Rogan experience and stuff from his podcast quite a bit here on this show. Uh, Obviously, last year, uh, the best podcast episode I listened to all last year was uh, his episode with John Donaher. Um, And so... He's a guy that is, he's, everyone's one degree of separation from Joe Rogan, right? Because you either like the UFC, so you like Joe Rogan, or you like comedy, so you like Joe Rogan, or you like podcasting, so you like Joe Rogan. Or you like all three, or two out of three, or something like that. But that's a really interesting thing for us. Because the cool thing about Joe Rogan, and again, I've expressed my concerns about Joe Rogan to a lot of people. He's kind of a chameleon, like when he has someone that's a little bit more right-leaning on his podcast, he becomes more right-leaning. And then when he has someone that's more liberal on his podcast, he tends to be more liberal. So he kind of just acquiesces to whatever he's at. And he has his moments where he'll kind of go against the grain, but he kind of just just does acquiesce to what's going on around him. But he's kind of the center point of this entire article, even though he's kind of just mentioned in passing. Because you have to think about who we wouldn't have have in the quote unquote man economy if it weren't for Joe Rogan. Because believe it or not, Jordan Peterson wasn't that popular until he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. 
again, he he was uh, you know a big time guy. But Joe Rogan basically said, you know, before his first podcast episode that this is my favorite podcast I've ever done in my entire life. And he was like 950 podcasts in when he had Joe, uh, Jordan Peterson on. So he basically created Jordan Peterson. Also, he kind of created Jocko Willink, right? So the Jocko podcast wouldn't be there because he was a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast and Joe Rogan told him, he's like, dude, you need to do this. Like you, you need to actually do a podcast. He's like, oh, you mean it? So we wouldn't have the Jocko podcast either. And think about the number of guys that you wouldn't know about in your life in any type of setting, whether it's fitness or, you know, fighting or any of those types of things, academics, if you didn't have Joe Rogan. And so obviously he is, he is really a big deal in this space. Now, I feel like the author kind of brought up Joe Rogan almost like, a, oh, you know, his mostly male audience and his mostly male guests or who, whatever, like trying to, you know, prove something there. Well, that's just so happens to be the majority of people that are on his podcast are men. And it just so happens to be that the majority of people that listen are men. Some would call that marketing, right? I don't think he specifically markets to a particular type of person, but it's kind of the same thing. Like if you're, if you should be shopping in the big and tall place, you're not going to go to the baby gap, right? I mean, it's just not for you. That doesn't make it bad. So there are a lot of podcasts on, you know, uh, the interwebs and all those different areas where you get your podcasts that are mainly female audiences. And so should we go right at them and be like, oh my gosh, like the majority of the people that are on this podcast are women. What's wrong with you? It's absolutely absurd. Okay. But then we get into the part of the article where he's talking about a call to men workshop. So I haven't done a whole lot of research in a call to men. So I'm going to kind of reserve judgment. Uh, I'm just going to go on what it basically says here in the workshop, but, or in, in the article about the workshop. So here was the quote, the big topics, sexual violence, homophobia, misogyny, and the people who signed up for the seminar seemed genuinely eager to have these difficult conversations. It was greatly encouraging to see so many people willing to address toxic masculinity as a public health crisis, ready to cut through the BS and get to the very heart of the matter. Okay. So I'm going to flow in a couple of things right here. Um, I'm good. I'm good with people talking about sexual violence and misogyny as being toxic. I mean, that's, that's completely okay with me because if you are sexually violent or misogynistic, you're sinful, right? You're, you're sinning in those particular areas. So I'm completely okay with uh, calling that toxic masculinity. The one I'm not okay with is when it talks about homophobia. And this is why it's not that I think that you as a good Christian man should belittle or bully homo homosexual men or, or men that identify as homosexual or men that uh, have a same sex attraction. Obviously, if you know me and have been listening to me for any length of time, I don't believe that. But most people think that if you think that homophobia or sorry, that if you think homosexuality or having a homosexual lifestyle is immoral, that you are homophobic. So the definition of homophobia has expanded so much farther out than it was ever intended to. And so that's where, and I think it's very disingenuous. So when you talk about toxic masculinity and you talk about homophobia, you're basically talking about people using the F word for gay people. That's essentially what you're saying, right? You know, talking down to somebody because they're, you know, acting queer or because they're, uh, you know, acting more feminine or something like that. It's just, it's just kind of one of those deals. So I don't really buy into that because the definition of homophobia is too broad, but the other thing from that is the concept that toxic masculinity is a public health issue. Okay. Typically when you think of something like a public health issue, you think of like mad cow disease or some sort of a plague or Ebola or something like that. But toxic masculinity as a public health issue. Now, obviously if somebody is sexually assaulted, that affects their health directly. 
their their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health, maybe their spiritual health. Uh, that's obviously something that happens. However, the thing that is very interesting is this article is just one of the latest in a slew of articles that talk about toxic masculinity, but don't define it. They're using it as if toxic masculinity is a colloquial term that we all just completely understand, right? Which is just a little bit silly to me. So this is just another one of those articles that uses examples of what they would see as toxic masculinity. But what they're doing is they're talking about a guy being rugged in the same breath as someone that's being sexually violent. You'll have people that think both of those things are toxically, uh, you know, their masculinity in a toxic fashion or something like that. But then I want to go into uh, the part of the article where he's talking about the breakout session. So this is Ted Bunch. Again, I don't know really much about Ted Bunch, but apparently he was talking about the man box. And so let's go back into the article here. So quote, much of the work of a call to men is prevention oriented, but Bunch wants men to feel more responsible for not just checking their own masculinity, but for the other men they encounter in their everyday life. It can't solely be the work of feminists to reform men, according to Bunch. The bridge of prevention to intervention is men. (sighs) This is one of the dumbest little stretches of the English language I think I've ever heard. So let's kind of like dig into a couple of different things here. So I'm okay with prevention oriented stuff. That's obviously why I advocate that, you know, boys go through rites of passage to become a man and that adult men kind of go through community to where they can stop themselves before they make a bad decision that'll affect their family or their lives or whatever the situation might be. Because I'm big, I'm big on the prevention oriented stuff. But it's this quote here where he's basically said, men want need to feel more responsible, not just for checking their own masculinity, but the other men's masculinity as well. But again, there's not a whole lot of nuance given to what does it mean to check your masculinity? Because that, what that sounds like is the same nonsense as check your privilege, you know, check your white privilege, check your male privilege, check your American privilege, whatever the thing is. But it's kind of one of those things that it's just setting you up to look at people as what they are, not who they are. So that is a white cisgendered man, or that is a black trans woman, or that is a Mexican homosexual something or other. Like, it's just kind of one of those things. It's just like you're looking at people through categories as opposed to the lens through individualism, because that's what they are. They are an individual. You're describing categories that will help you put them into a category, but it doesn't help you understand them. So when he says we need to check our masculinity and check the masculinity of people around us, what exactly is he saying? Because if he's saying something along the lines of, if I see one of my buddies about to sexually assault someone, should I stop them? Yes, I'm all for that. So check yourself. If you feel like you're about to sexually assault somebody and you can remove yourself from your monkey brain for five seconds and stop yourself from doing that, should you do that? Yes. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Because again, throughout all of this, and I don't know if just, uh, you know, Spencer Dukoff or the guy who wrote this, if he just sucks at writing, but he doesn't give us any ideas as to, okay, what does Ted Bunch say masculinity is? What is non-toxic masculinity? And here's the other thing that Bunch said that I thought was pretty ridiculous is it can't solely be the work of feminists to reform men. Okay. So I thought feminism was about female empowerment. I thought first, second, and third wave feminism was all about empowerment. But apparently, according to this, it's reforming men. How interesting. 
So I know there's not a whole lot of great things to say about the uh, kind of the men's movement and the people like I did an episode called The Red Pill, uh, however many episodes ago. So you can go check that out and get some of my more uh, in-depth responses to that. But it's like feminism has been billed as this thing like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not trying to tear down the patriarchy necessarily. We're not trying to tear down society. We're not trying to tear down men. We don't hate men. We're just wanting to empower ourselves. Okay, so you can kind of get get on board with that. But this kind of gives it away. This bunch guy that apparently does men's stuff says that it can't solely be the, the work of feminists to reform men as if it's an understood. Like it's understood that feminists are here to reform men. I just, I just thought that was gross. I just thought that was ridiculous. It's like, okay, either there's so much context miss, missing from this or it's just nonsense. So it might be a little bit of both as well. But then as you continue, there's another quote just below that section. It says, quote, when we as a society talk about toxic masculinity, we tend to talk about men in static, broad terms, laying out stakes and consequences better suited for cancel culture than genuine growth. What Bunch puts forward is a more hopeful vision. We can begin to dismantle these toxic attitudes not by marching or tweeting or buying products that signal virtue, but by opening up and having a conversation with one another. Okay, so this is a lot better. This is way better. Right. Because he kind of talks about cancel culture in a negative sense because it is negative. Oh, my gosh, you said something 20 years ago that I just now discovered and I don't like it. So I'm going to ruin every single thing and every single person around you. Okay, that's cancel culture. Like you can't say anything. Oh, now this person can't get a job in Hollywood. No one will interview them on their podcast, blah, 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 all that nonsense. But I'm, I'm with him here about the more hopeful vision that we can just have more conversations. Okay. But again, he talks about dismantling these toxic attitudes, but we're not defining them. Because again, I'm with you. If there's a negative force out there in the ether, as long as we can name it, we can fight it. But if we can't name it, then we can't fight it. And so if we don't have a generalized definition of what it means to be masculine and have that masculinity be toxic, it's hard to fight it. It's kind of like when people say, well, we want to fight racism. Okay, well, do you mean individual cases of racism. No, I want to fight, you know, the criminal justice system because the criminal justice system is racist. Okay. So, so when you say it's racist, do you mean that there have been times when people that look like you and maybe don't look like me have been maligned in inside of this system and that you think that there was some sort of a, a racial undertone to it? No, no, no. It's just, it's just racist for whatever reason. So, so again, the point I'm making is not to go off on a tangent about race in America, which eventually I guess I'll have to get into that as well, but it's mainly talking about individualized ideas and can we all come together as to what those things mean? Because as a society, we don't have to debate what gravity does, right? Like we don't have to debate that. We know what it is. We know what it does. But with something like toxic masculinity, if we can't define it and agree upon it, then we can't really address it. Because again, you can't use examples of a thing in order to define it, right? I mean, that's like English 101 type stuff. You can't give the definite, the word of the thing you're trying to define in the definition. So uh, I think that's a lot better kind of where that paragraph went, but it was still not that great. So we'll go a little bit further down and we get to this quote. Quote, a call to men aims to teach us that men aren't born imbued with morality or a personality or a destiny. We are blank canvases engaged in some metaphysical lottery, unquote. So massive, dangerous issues here, right? I mean, this, uh, men aren't born imbued with morality. Just that line right there. Obviously you can tell that a call to men 
does not have any type of a Judeo-Christian framework undergirding the things that they're saying and doing. They literally think that we are a blank slate, right? Now, I agree with them that we're a blank slate and that we can be influenced, right? We can be influenced by our country of origin, by our family of origin, by how we were raised, by if there's money, all the things that were listed in the article. But this idea that we are born without morality is silly. Because again, every worldview has to answer these questions. And I got this from Rabbi Zacharias and I say it all the time. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is good and bad? And where are we going? Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. This basically claims that we as men, we're just kind of floating in this, what do they call it? A metaphysical lottery, right? So you might be tall, you might be short, you might be smart, you might be dumb, whatever the situation might be. It's just a lottery. Some of us hit the lottery, some of us don't. Some of us are the have, some of us are the have-nots. And so I think it's very interesting here that people that don't have any type of a Judeo-Christian ethic working through what they're doing, trying to prescribe things. But we'll get more into that here in just a little bit. But now getting into the section about advertising, which is about halfway through this article, we get to this quote here, quote, the commercial was an instant viral phenomenon. This is obviously talking about the uh, Gillette commercial that came out for the Super Bowl, receiving praise from celebrities on the left, like Chrissy Teigen and Ava DuVernay, while being mocked by right-leaning pundits like Pierce Morgan, who wrote that the ad pushed men to be tarred with the same monstrous brush. Boycott Gillette quickly became a trending topic on Twitter, which also seems like it was part of Gillette's plan. Oh, the problems with this little section here. So one little quick thing. Uh, Pierce Morgan is not on the right. He, he's actually far from right-leaning. I mean, this is a guy that has been on some right-leaning things. I mean, I even think just a few weeks ago, he was on the um, uh, the Ben Shapiro Sunday Conversation. And it was fantastic. But this this guy is far from being right-leaning. But let's get into the big reason why this is a really stupid thing to bring up. Because, okay, this is just really funny. So the part where it says, it seems like it was part of Gillette's plan from the beginning. What I thought immediately, since this, you know, was just released a few weeks ago, is they were going to talk about what happened to Gillette and the the parent company, Procter & Gamble. Okay. After this ad went out, and yes, it went viral in kind of a negative sense, Gillette lost eight billion dollars after the ad aired eight billion billion with a b dollars after this ad and you know some people at gillette were like oh well you know there's there's kind of this trend towards beards now so people aren't really shaving as much and you know people are using these online services like dollar shave club and all that and and to be honest i'm sure there's some part of that but you don't lose eight billion dollars in market share or in profits in seven or eight months because people are growing beards all of a sudden. And so this article talks about this Gillette ad as if it was some sort of paragon of virtue. It's like you, you, we knew that they lost $8 billion before you wrote this stuff, but before this ever came out, you knew that happened, but they didn't mention it here. Could it be for a reason? I'm sure I'm just looking at nothing, right? Okay. Let's get into another quote here. Just right after that. What advertising agencies realize is that younger consumers don't see a reason why they should support a brand if it doesn't speak to their values, says Mark Tungate. So if we go back to episode 95 of this podcast on changing American values, this should be a little bit worrisome to us as Christian men, because if we're losing the Judeo-Christian ethic in the West writ large, and specifically here in America, and we're losing the influence of the church and of scripture, then we have to look at these changing values as being being a little bit of a, of a of a problem for us moving forward. 
And the big problem that I see is if we're not undergirding what we value in any particular way, we're just going to float. So we're going to like this value and we're not going to like that value. And we're going to go through one life experience and then we're going to change our paradigms and we're just kind of floating around. We don't have these pillars of morality that we can go to and anchor ourselves to. So that's a little bit worrisome. So we go a little bit farther down. We have this quote, quote, a cynic might say that the man economy may actually hold men back from seriously addressing the issues it leverages to sell products. After all, it's much easier to buy the woke shaving cream brand and believe you've done your woke man deed of the day than it is to actively advocate for closing the gender pay gap or participate in a boycott. So, um, one quick thing, the gender pay, pay gap is a hoax. Okay. Uh, I think that's been summarily dismissed at this point. Uh, the pay gap, if there is a gap, which I think it was a Time uh, Time Magazine article saying that in the top 50 places in the United States uh, by population, that women who went to school and got the same degrees and worked the same amount of hours and made the same lifestyle choices were actually making more than their male counterparts. The thing about the gender pay gap is this is more about choices. Women typically choose to not work as much. They don't work as many hours. They don't work on the weekends. They don't work at jobs that are highly dangerous, that you get hazard pay or higher pay because they are dangerous. Men typically don't take off several years to raise children. That is a choice by women typically to have these children. So the gender pay gap, even being mentioned in this article in the way that it was, is ridiculous. But on the first part, sorry, I just bumped the microphone. We're back. All right. So uh, the first part where it was basically a cynic might say that the man economy may actually hold men back from seriously addressing the issues it leverages to sell products. After all, it's much easier to buy a woke shaving cream brand and believe you've done your woke man deed of the day than it is to do the other things like that. So I thought that was pretty interesting to talk about the man economy and say that, hey, we know that these people are just selling products, right? We know that they're just out there to sell things. They don't actually care about these things, but they think you do. And so they're going to attach themselves to it. So part of the reason why the United States military has, you know, a setup with the NFL where they basically, you know, pay them so that they can come and do the flag thing before the game is because it appeals to that audience and vice versa. It's kind of one of those things. It's just marketing 101. Like we all agree with that and, and believe that that's an effective thing for us to do. But the thing that's that's ridiculous to me to a certain degree is this assumption that because there's some sort of a capitalistic bend here that it can't help people. And so that that's one thing about this article is it just kind of goes back and forth and, and we'll get more into that here in just a second. But I want to go ahead and read the last sentence here and flow on that a little bit. So here's the last uh, couple of sentences here on this particular uh, article. So, quote, but while man's path to modern enlightenment can't end with a shaving cream advertisement or a particularly engaging podcast, perhaps it can begin with them. Rather than selling the illusion of progress, the man economy has the opportunity to offer men a fresh start. Boy, do we need one. Okay. So again, I, I thought that was a good ending. I think it had a good beginning and a good ending and a bunch of nonsense in between. Um, but I, I agree with this, that a an advertisement or a podcast could be somebody's um, motivation to be a better man. I absolutely believe that. And guys, you're evidence of that. I get messages from you. Uh, Semi-recently, uh, I got s several good messages, but fairly consistently, I'll get messages from you guys saying, hey, I started doing this, or I stopped doing that, or I listened to this episode of your podcast, and then I went and did that. Or, you know, remember that one where you were talking about taking your dad to a racetrack? I hadn't talked to my dad in a while, so I called him that day, and he couldn't have been more excited to talk to me. Just stuff like that. So I've heard that as well. And so I think that that's a good thing. Again, it kind of, in this last line, kind of tr tries to create this wedge between things that have a capitalistic bend and things that don't have a capitalistic bend, but it just kind of is what it is. But at this point, I want to kind of get into my overall thoughts on the article. And so you've obviously heard me read the article. 
you heard me go into some specific quotes, but now I just want to kind of give you my overall thoughts. So the first thing, and this is what you can just see all the way throughout, and that's it's dripping with liberal bias. Uh, there, there's so much liberal bias here. The Spencer Dukoff does not really hide the fact that this guy, he's a leftist. And so I think that that, I think it sullies this a little bit because if this had been written in a, a overtly conservative way, I think I would have certainly enjoyed it more. But again, if we're addressing the main issue, we shouldn't make it leftist or, or righty. We shouldn't really do that. So another thing is that, uh, and I mentioned this several times, is that this article discusses toxic masculinity using examples, but no definitions. Okay, so if anybody, for the love of God, if you can get me an actual definition of toxic masculinity, if you can get me a list of things underneath that definition that we can combat, or at least try and define whether or not they are actually toxic, that would be highly helpful. This article is just another article that doesn't do that. Uh, Another thing is that this article says several times, and it kind of does it slyly, it slyly demonizes capitalism, because of course they do, because again, if this guy's on the left, he maybe he's a Bernie bro or something like that, to where he's basically looking at these things and looking at money is like, oh, money's bad. Again, this is called the man economy, right? And so it's like, oh, we got people that are making money off of trying to make men better men. Well, for how long has self-help been a thing? Like, do you get mad at self-help gurus? Do you get mad at Tony Robbins because he's helping business owners and people do certain things? Are you mad at Dave Ramsey for helping people with their money? Like, who freaking cares? Like, we trade our time and our talent for money. That's what all of us do. We, we have time. We have talent or training in some way. And we trade that for people's cash. That's what business is. It's not a big deal. It's not a bad deal either. So that was a little bit silly. Uh, another thing I wanted to get into is you don't get articles like this written by this guy, coming out of environments where true masculinity exists. So you don't end up with a worldview like the Spencer Dukoff guy if you come from an environment where you've seen a lot of positive examples of masculinity. If you grew up in a home where uh, the women were upheld and protected and provided for, um, if you were constantly around men that were acting out uh, manhood in the best ways possible, if you saw the important men in your life, brothers, uncles, grandpa, uh, you know, dad, those types of folks, uh, if they were cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis, you don't get this kind of worldview. I mean, this, this, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, this guy's jaded. Like, this guy's obviously jaded. He probably didn't have a strong dad or he had a really strong dad in the house and he kind of bucked that. Maybe he's a little bit effeminate himself. But again, you just have to think, what kind of a background do you have when you have somebody writing an an article like this? It's interesting to look at. Another thing I was thinking about while I was looking at this article is it's really funny watching secularists try and define problems and then try to solve them. It's so funny. Like, at different points here, it's kind of, again, we go back to a call to men. Uh, they're trying to define the problem. They're trying to help us with the problem. But then there's nothing to attach themselves to. So you can rappel off the, you know, off the top of the cliff. But if you're not attached to something, it's going to be a very, very unfun ride down for you. So when you see a secularist or, you know, an evolutionary, bi- evolutionary biologist or someone like that trying to define problems, it's like, well, but we're just stardust, remember? Yeah, I mean, that's like Jeff Durbin's big thing is like, we're just stardust bumping into other stardust. Why is this a problem? Like, why exactly are we talking about this? Like, no one can actually give them an answer. And if they try to use uh, some sort of a mnemonic device, not a mnemonic device, but if they're trying to use some sort of a device to to help us understand where we're going with these certain things, they're having to use things that are coming from their Judeo-Christian world with which they were raised in. 
right? Because most of these people come from the West. They've had the positives of growing up with a Judeo-Christian framework and ethic around them, but now they're trying to buck that and create their own thing, right? Kind of this new wavy type of deal. The other thing about this article is it can't figure out if it likes the man economy or not. Right. And so I'm, I'm kind of giving some personalization to this article as if it's his own person. But Spencer Dukoff, he can't really figure out if he likes the main economy or not. And when you get to the end, it's more of like, well, this might be a good thing. This might be a bad thing. It's like, well, you think you could maybe take a stand? Tell us that this is a good thing or tell us that this is a bad thing, as opposed to just implying that it could be good in certain areas. But overall, it's probably pretty bad. That was a little bit sloppy to me uh, for this guy to act that way. But I guess my overall thought here is get your workout and supplement advice for men's health. But don't go to men's health for manhood advice. I mean, if if this is the type of writing that you're going to get, guys, I don't see this as being helpful. I don't see this for you being a very thoughtful, uh, thinking Christian. I don't really feel like going to things like this are going to help you do anything other than to practice how to dismantle arguments that are stupid. Okay. So again, uh, I do appreciate uh, that this article was sent over to me because I think that there was a lot of ample opportunities to help you guys understand things from a different perspective. But yeah, I don't know that I would continue going there if you're wanting to advance yourself in any particular way. All right, guys, before we get out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, the only thing I got for you is just a copy of this article. It's a longer article. It has some other hyperlinks that take you other places. So read it. If you disagree with my assessment of it, go ahead and let me know. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, that is how this podcast will continue to grow. So please take a quick second, leave us that five-star review and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019 and the entirety of 2020. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, speak to your team, your men's event, your conference, just let me know. Info at undaunted.life. Again, the email info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.